0: Welcome to another Round the rotor with me, your host, J.P. Warren, and with us today I have John Spath, or Jonathan Spath, uh, uh, the uh, Senior Vice President of Drilling and Productions at Talus Energy. And uh, thank you for coming in today, John. How are you doing I'm today? J.P. Thank you for having me. Well, thank you for coming in. Well, thank you for having me. Okay. Well, there you go. How are you Well, today? thank you. Well, there we go. Is this your first podcast you've ever done? It is my first podcast. Well, it feels like it's my first, too. Every time I do this, it's always one of those things. It's like, okay... Take two,
1: take three. So yeah, I mean, you, this you know, podcast doesn't count like a Facebook video. Or no, anything like that. No, 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 that's he not. You can edit. Totally it. Different.
0: You can it's, you can edit and also if you don't
1: like it, you just scrap it. Because I do have a lot of TikToks out there.
0: Okay, well, yeah. So yeah. I joined TikTok during the uh, during
1: the COVID lockdown. Oh, I didn't. I didn't. Yeah, I have to join your TikTok group. I uh,
0: hope you don't find because I don't have that that much up there. But let's uh, get uh, let's get this started, man. Yeah, give us a. No uh, before we start, I, I know that you're an avid listener and uh, you asked how many people give their bios before right. and you listening so much you had no idea and I said pretty much everybody gives their bio. So let's go ahead and give your bio real quick, kind All of a right, short sure short little uh, summary of what you uh...
1: summary, Summary, uh, well, I graduated from USL in 1995, right. Um, right in the middle of a thriving economy. You know, so so coming out of uh, mechanical engineering in 1995, I guess there was about 22 graduates of mechanical engineering, of which only two of us had job offers, you know, when we graduated. So it was a very, very slow time. Oil prices were sitting in the $15 range and living in Lafayette, you know you're used to that culture of oil and gas, right? You know, and to come out of college and not really have any job opportunities, you know, it was, it was pretty tough. But is I was—is
0: that where you're from, Lafayette?
1: Uh, well, I, my dad was in the military, so I moved all over okay. the place when I was younger. But it was in Lafayette since I was in third grade. Okay. Uh, my mom settled in Lafayette, so I was fortunate enough to be one of the two guys that actually had a job prior to graduating college, and and I went to work for a company uh, uh, called McDermott. In Morgan City, they built offshore structures, uh, offshore facilities. Uh, I felt it was a good for mechanical engineering for me to get involved in construction, project management, right? Because to be honest, from the very beginning, all of us really didn't want to get into oil and gas because we saw our family struggle through all the downturns in Lafayette and what happened to Lafayette over the years. So we were pretty much anti-oil and gas. So I viewed McDermott as an opportunity to get construction management skills. So
0: Lafayette, was that, I mean, I know there's industries, certain industries all over the, the, the coast, such as, you know, uh, Homa, Lafayette. I mean, certain industries are really like affected when 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 oil prices drop. I mean, the entire city pretty much feels it. Yeah, so Lafayette
1: was called the hub city. Uh, at one point, I didn't right. really, I didn't know if you knew that. You know, uh, you, I
0: didn't know that, but I was waiting for you to chime that in. Yeah, so hub
1: city. So when Lafayette in the, late 80s early 90s when Lafayette really got affected I mean it, it 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 really hurt all the families you had people losing their houses you know businesses shutting down uh S. St. Thomas Moore who Chris Lawnbreaker with Capital you know went there back managing, then managing partner of Capital Petroleum Consultants yeah that guy yeah. all right I mean STM went from probably 500 students down to about 150 God. in total it, it was it definitely devastated the the local economy. So you said you
0: were one of two, and obviously not to get too much on this tangent, you said uh, you're one of two people out of a class of... 20. 20. So how did you position yourself to get a job versus the other
1: uh, 18? Well, I had very good grades. Okay. Um, And it also helped that I was able to communicate effectively. Um, I was an engineer that interviewed quite well, uh, expressed my my experiences to... uh, to mcdermott right and and they were looking for guys that had great communication skills because they had to manage projects they had to work with partners you know through other vendors coming in and do work they had to, we had to communicate with customers you know and make sure we could uh uh work and and communicate on all levels so i had to communicate from the welder the whole way up to a project manager for, for like an Exxon. Right. And so you had to have a skill set.
0: And that's something that, I mean, that's something that my uh, my father uh, brought up with me. It's like, you know, you, you don't want the best student. You know, you don't want the 4.0 GPA student because that person's usually down there, focused on their work, just, you know, uh, nose in on their studies. However, you kind of want someone kind of the middle of, that actually has the social life, that has the the, the, the community service, that has the yeah. uh, ability to converse anyone from... The, so when I was working offshore, it, it gave me the confidence talking to talk anyone from, you know, the roughneck, as you said, to, you know, CEO
1: level. That's correct. Much. So, and, was, and I support what your dad said. I believe that the engineers with a GPA between a 2.8 to a 3.2 are typically the ones that are a little bit more well, well-rounded yeah. and, and diverse versus... The guys that want to come in with a with a three nine four zero oh, and they're more R and D type, don't want to introvert, get, don't want to get their hands you know, dirty in the field. Exactly, just want to, just want to put everything you on know. Paper. But for, for what we do in oil and gas, whether it's production, drilling, or construction, you know, the the, the well-rounded engineers are the better ones right. for those jobs. Okay. Now you you need smart people in your organization. Don't get me wrong, like us. Yeah, like you know like you like us <laughs> but at the same time you know those are the guys that can help support the guys that can really f- effectively communicate and, and manage projects right right get a get a uh, a channel or a message uh, across
0: so so go on so go so, on. so
1: after uh worked at mcdermott for a couple years um ended up uh getting a job offer for um from marathon so went to work for marathon Uh, Worked there from 1998 until 2006. Onshore? Offshore. Okay. All offshore. Uh, Really focused on uh, the first thing I did at Marathon was facilities engineer. Uh, Did that for about a year and a half and then moved over to a production foreman, which I was in the field, a field guy, All right, uh, where I ran a couple of fields for Marathon uh, on a rotation, seven and seven. And then at that point, I had an opportunity to move into drilling. And um so Have you ever, did you ever do drilling before? Did not. Okay. Did not. And and so it, it was a great opportunity. A guy by the name of Carl Hubacher, uh, he retired from Marathon. Um, uh, I was at a point in my career where I was looking for something different. Right. And um and he gave me an opportunity, went on board over there with uh, a guy by the name of Jerry Beermore was my boss. Jerry I currently works at Talos Energy. Okay. Yeah, so uh, so so it came back full full cycle. And um, once I got into drilling, it was about the same time that Marathon got a new CEO. Okay. And and when we got the new CEO, he he didn't like our Gulf of Mexico portfolio that much in any of their in any of our exploration wells. So so he wanted to focus a lot on international. Okay. So pretty so once I moved into drilling, the first thing they said is move to Houston. And then they said, all right, but now we're going to make you work 28 and 28 in Africa in the U.K. And I was like, well, why well, I have to move to Houston if I'm going to work 28 and right. 28? So then they said, all right, yeah, that's right. Stay in Lafayette and just work 28 and 28. So I did that the whole way up until uh, 2005. And I was really looking for an opportunity to get back to the to the States, to be home every night with the family. So Ty- where were you rotating out of? Uh, we were, I was working in the North Sea, Gabon, Equatorial, Guinea. Okay. Uh, and I really rotated depend, depending on where the rigs were. Okay. Um, so I was working either well site or in, on land as a drilling engineer for, like, in Ecuador, Ghana. Uh And then in 2005, uh, my daughter was born. I was at a point where I was ready to be home more often. Right. And um, so I ended up, uh, and it wasn't an opportunity to come back to the, to the U.S. for Marathon other than to do land. So, when I approached Marathon and, and told them I was interested in, in staying home every night, uh, they offered me uh, to do some land drilling in Oklahoma. Uh, and, at that, and, and I said, Well, I think there's better opportunities out there in, in deep water than in the US Gulf of Mexico. Okay. So, so, I ended up deciding to leave there and, and I started consulting. Okay. And, and immediately got picked up by a company called Deep Gulf Energy. Yeah. Uh, actually, Mariner i working for a guy named Bill Fisher who stayed at Mariner for a few months and then he went over to Deep Golf Energy and I ended up following him right. uh, over to Deep Golf Energy and stayed there until 2011 and then at that point uh, picked up with uh, Talos Energy. Okay, so 2011 you picked up with Talos? Uh, it, was, it was 2012 that I got on Talos, the late 2012. There, I mean, there. Um, so my background, you know,
0: I broke out offshore. It was in uh, at Noble Drilling, and uh-huh. uh, you're right. There is such a, a mind shift when you go from offshore to onshore market. It, it's totally different. It, it really is. I mean, I mean, it's you know, you start looking at, for example, you you're doing the budgets. I mean, for these offshore rigs, like five million, you know, risers, you know, yeah, ten million yeah, yeah, BOPs, yeah. and then you get here, it's like, oh, they want drill pipe for. Eleven cents a foot. Yeah, sure. Uh, who, who gives a shit? It's Eleven cents a foot. Yeah, exactly. The 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 scope is so much different. It is and faster. Uh, I feel like when, on land versus offshore. But I can definitely see how. Um, I know a lot of people uh, in the oil gas industry that have been offshore their entire careers, and that's just
1: is what they love. Is love. Lo- they love what they do. You know what I mean. That is correct. Uh, offshore, it's very every well is a challenge. Yes, you know, unless you start doing some development drilling, but even then. If you drill in different fault blocks, you face different challenges. Uh, but it's, it's, it's something that's it's always, like I said, it's a, it's a challenge. And, and, and you live for that. You live for going out there and doing each well you drill, it was something different. And, you know, And you're and finding on
0: land lately, it's like, once you figure out a formation, or once you figure out a base, and it's like, okay, well, this is this is what you have to do. A, B, C, and D. Yeah, that's when you cut and paste procedures. Exactly. You know, in deep water, you can't cut and paste. Exactly. I mean, every day is, every day is a challenge. So kind of, I mean, going into this, uh, uh, talking about offshore. And so you've been there um, since
1: 2012. That, that's correct. And uh, you worked your way up to a uh, senior advisor. Started off as a deep water drilling manager. Well, started off actually as a... As, uh, a drilling engineer, deep water drilling engineer, okay. uh, quickly moved into the deep water drilling manager spot. Uh, in, the, in the downturn in 2015, um, I was approached with uh, taking over production operations. Okay, uh, uh, They were looking for a change in culture within the production operations organization. Um, our VP of ops at the time had, had left Talos, uh, so there was a void there for about four or five months. Uh, that they, they were going to, they were trying not to fill that spot because we were in the in the process of letting people go, right. and reducing head count. Uh, but but after about four months, they decided they needed some, some leadership in that position. We weren't going to be drilling many wells, uh, so Tim Duncan approached me and, and said, "Would you be interested in moving over to uh, to head up the production group?"
0: Did you hesitate on that, or was that something you just jumped into? Uh,
1: you, you know, I, I said, you know, at that time I, I was a little bit hesitant because I was stepping into an organization where I knew there had to, there had to be ex- extreme budget cuts, which involved also layoffs, uh, in a down market. And, and it was going to be a lot of challenges. And, and what I was stepping into was essentially going to be viewed as, you know, somebody that wasn't going to be liked right away because I was going to have to make the tough decisions yeah, uh, in order to help the company out. Yeah. And, so, you and of- so, so I went from being a drilling manager where I was in my in my zone where I knew I how to drill wells. So I had a a good team underneath me. Was in a real spot of being comfortable to one of of making really tough decisions. And, and, and so I was hesitant at it, first. But but Tim, he, you know, Tim and Steve Heitzman, who was my boss at the time, uh, essentially said, Hey, you know, you're walking into an organization that's, that's a blank piece of paper. You know, you get to put you get to put your 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 handprint on on all this and And would you rather that or take over production from somebody that's considered you know uh, you know a leader in that in that realm you know production operations and then you have to follow up that guy you know here you're stepping into a spot where you can you you can message what you want to message you can create the organization the way you want to create it
0: and that's such a, I mean I think that personally, i mean right now with everything going on in the industry um uh, currently, with with you know people taking new roles, uh, either being let go and having to pursue something they never thought uh, previously. I mean, every position in my career has been something new and that I had no idea about or no confidence uh, with. Whether it was HSC, whether it was going to living in Saudi, uh, mm-hmm. doing you know country manager it sounds pretty important. But yeah, I had right. nine people interview, but every position I was not comfortable or confident in stepping in that role, just because. You know, it's it's one, of those, it's one of those stresses that, you know, you're kind of thrust into. But that being said, I mean, I think, that's, I think that's a crucial message for people out there listening right now, those two people that might listen, you and me, to say, look, you know, if you
1: step up into a role, I mean, whether you're <clears throat> comfortable or not, take it. Jump you, in. you have to be positive with every move you make. Right. And, and, you know, a lot of people don't like change. No. But in this market, uh, what you'll start to see happening, and, and, and you've seen it in some other companies – is guys you can move from, from drilling manager to an HSE role or into production. I mean, I'm seeing that in some reorgs uh, or production moving into, uh, you know, maybe some well-recompletion uh, roles or, or, you know, what they try to do is create the organization with the best people they have. Right, And sometimes people have to move around and take roles that it may not be what they want to do, but at some point, you have to you have to take that role and learn from it, and think that there's going to be something better on the backside of it.
0: That's exactly. I got a buddy who's over at uh, a company, and he went from operations manager pretty much, and now he's uh, now he's a pumper. Yeah. But he's like, you know, I'm in the field again. I'm kind of freshening up some skills. I'm learning it. So he's taking that with a with a. You're right, being positive with it.
1: With a, you have with to a be positive thought. with every move.
0: Well, so I kind of want to go into more of, uh, of your current role and your current uh, situation right now and kind of talk about a little of the offshore market. Yes. Um, right now, I've, I, with so much changing, uh, so much, I guess, uh, whirlwind, shit show, whatever you want to deem it, uh, I guess... Uh, In this new market, has your main criteria changed when it's uh, selecting, uh, whether it's, you know, offshore, you know, uh, either rigs or whether it's selecting vendors? Has anything changed or
1: shifted in the past 90 days for you? Well, well, in the past, we used to evaluate all the vendors. You know, we take a look and it's a combination of things, you know, HSE record uh, experience of of the personnel, making sure they're capable of doing the job and their training, the reputation of the company. You know, that, that was critical when we evaluate all vendors is, you know, can they, have they gone out and proven that they can execute projects safely? Right. Um, and, then, and then, of course, cost uh, comes into play. In this new market, we put HSC at a premium, Okay. you know, because what we can't afford when we're doing a limited amount of projects is, is to have HSC incidents, and, and, and that, that affects the entire company. But at the same time, we're also taking a look at the financial stability of the vendors. Yeah. You know, because that's critical. We have to make sure that, one, are they paying their people? Are their people unhappy that may cause one of them to do something that, that isn't smart? Or are they paying their vendors? Are we at risk of getting any liens filed against us? Even though you know, we pay our, the vendors for their work, they have a whole network right. of other things going on behind the scenes that we don't have knowledge of. So it's important to make sure that we're working with companies that have the financial stability uh, to execute our projects. So you know what's interesting? Usually, when there's a downturn or
0: or, or, uh, or activity starts uh, decreasing, you know, people say you know HSC is important and all, but you see it kind of taking a back seat a lot of times, you know, because you you want the cheapest uh, out there, you know, the cheapest service out there, uh, and um, so the fact that you actually put HSC up higher is, um, I commend
1: that. HSC is absolutely critical, you know, in, in all, in any industry. Right. And right. I believe oil and gas is one of the safest industries in the world. Um, you know, whether on land or, or Gulf of Mexico, uh, you know, we're, we're under the, uh, you know, under Bessie, which, which is, is very strict in regulations and HSC. But, but you know, our preference, you know, we want to be there. We want to be a top tier when it comes to HSE performance, it's critical to make sure that guys offshore work safe. Right. You know, and they go home to their families. Right. And that's one of our biggest concerns and challenges that we face right now is still maintaining that strong HSE culture. All right. And making sure guys don't feel like they have to cut corners to get a job done faster. Yeah. You know, or they don't want to be perceived as as doing something wrong so they won't report something because if they if they do something wrong, then they fear of losing their job. So one of the messages we, we send out to our crews weekly, we talk to the, the offshore guys weekly. Uh, we have week, weekly HSC meetings with the guys in the field. Uh, we, we harp on HSC performance. Like if you have to shut the job down, regroup everybody, and come up with a new plan, let's do that. The last thing you want to have happen is somebody have the mindset or the concern, well, if I stop the job, then I'm going to be perceived as a, you know, troublemaker. Yeah, against, against, uh, you know, against operation. me as yeah. a, that's a, that's a black mark against that individual. And then when we have layoffs, he's going to get let go. The first to go. So it's one to make sure that everyone needs to understand is, you know, we believe in a strong HEC culture. We want you to be able to work safe. And no one's going to be affected if they stop the job, or 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 they have to take longer than planned. Right. Just as long as they they work safe. So that kind of uh, segues into, I guess, the uh, the next
0: question I have. I mean, you know, you, you you mentioned having weekly communications with guys offshore, guys and girls offshore. You mentioned uh, communicating HSC being of utmost importance mm-hmm. and stop the job, et cetera, and all that stuff, but. How, how do you, I guess, maintain morale and maintain motivation and um, for people to believe that, you know, because, I mean, if you're working, you know, if you're, you know, a roughneck or a rouse offshore, you don't want to be the guy that stops the job because there's outside pressure. So how do you communicate that in this day and age, I guess, um, how do you keep people motivated and understand that, hey, look, what we're saying about HSC, we still mean that. Like this
1: still is our, our kind of our core values. Well it's being involved and, and, and the guys in the field, guys and girls in the field, like you said, yes. uh, uh, the personnel in the field. There you go. All right, it's really it's really critical nice. to be engaged with them. Communicate on a regular basis. Right. You go to the crew changes, you know. Uh, you know, I really encourage our superintendents in particular, you know, to hit the crew changes be face-to-face with the personnel so that they can see it in your eyes. Yeah. Um, you know, the engineers, I really encourage, go out to your fields, talk to the guys, because the worst thing that happens offshore is, you know, guys work essentially on an island. Right. You know, when they're on an offshore platform. And, and one guy across the Gulf of Mexico could hear this one little rumor about something, and next, you know, it spreads throughout the Gulf of Mexico, you know, to all your facilities. Yeah. And then when you finally hear about it, it's like, whoa, hold up, guys. Yeah, you know, is kind of this, this This is, you know, this is not accurate. Right. You know, so I encourage engineers to really get involved, talk to the guys. I can guarantee you pretty much all of our production engineers talk to all their platforms on a daily basis. Uh, we have HSC reps that work the fields that, that communicate the importance of HSC uh, to all, all offshore personnel. I participate in a, in a lot of uh, you know foreman meetings, uh, you know conference calls with the field. You know one of the good things we had that we learned a lot about during this downturn was uh, I'm going to put a plug in here for Microsoft Teams. All right. You know that's really helped. I don't think they're, I don't think they're listening, <laughs> but uh, okay, go on. But uh, Microsoft. You know, they uh, it show it, it it definitely gave us a new way to communicate with the guys in the field. Right. You know, to the to the point to where I'm like, get cameras on every platform. Yeah. Now it's the you new. You know, one. now because now when we do these safety meetings, I can actually see the guys. You know, and they could see me. You can see if they're engaged or not. Yeah. And yeah. it's important uh, to have that visual and not just listen to a voice. And it's in, and, and that's how you try to keep morale up. You know, talk about hey the successes you're having. Yeah, you know we can't control the commodity price, but you know what we can't control is the projects we're working today in that budget, you know, and making sure everyone goes home safe and and make sure everyone understands our future. Even in a downturn, we can grow, right? You know, we can we still have growth in a downturn, Um, whether it's through you know doing limited drilling or acquisition. You know, there's a lot of opportunity out there. We're we're a pretty strong financial company, you know, financially strong. Uh, so, and that's the main focus is to deliver that message. Hey, we're here to stay. Uh, you're part of the team. You know, we want you here. And, and, and that, that keeps morale up. So, um, so sim- that's kind of similar what to what uh, Jason
0: Churchill said, uh, the podcast he didn't listen to last time. Um, he mentioned that one of the. <laughs> I'm just messing with you. So, the, uh, he mentioned that transparency. Was mm. was crucial transparency communication just as you said we don't know what's going to happen to commodity prices next week two weeks three three months but what we can do is focus on today or our, our job correct. today
1: and one of the advantages you know for, for Talos and and just in general is a lot of our production uh, is hedged okay you know so we have budgets that are really only affected by that little stub that isn't hedged mm-hmm. you know, so so we go into the whole year with with a scope already already determined because we already have hedges laid right know, for twenty twenty So, so we're not having to do as much knee jerk reaction as some operators that, that aren't hedged, you know, you know, they have to go from, you know, uh, you know, whether it's a facilities maintenance budget of like $50 million down to, hey, let's cut it down to 15, you know, we, we've been able to really manage, manage that whole aspect, you know, thanks to a good job by, uh, you know, our, our financial team and, and CEO and his leadership, right. you know, we've been able to sit there and manage our budgets and still do the projects that are necessary and do them safely and on time and on on budget. And when the guys start to see a lot of that, uh, they get excited. They get excited when when we're out there going to their fields and they recognize that, hey, these guys, you know, we're not slowing down. They're fixing the things that we need fixed in our platform, which means that they believe in. In in a, in that facility and the profitability of that facility, even at this commodity price, that they're willing to keep things up and running and make things safe for us. And also, and that, that goes a long way. From that
0: them. that just ties into what you say is what you deliver. What That's you say correct. is what you do, and if they see that yep. your actions, you're right that that does keep it up. So, um, moving moving on, I kind of want to touch base. You know. You know, what are the difficulties uh, from a capital perspective you're seeing in 2020, 2021? And, uh, you know, are partners hardened, hardened to uh, pin down uh, for, for AFEs?
1: Yeah, definitely. Uh, 2020 and going into 2021 is definitely going to be a challenge uh, working with partners because not everybody has, not every company has the same goals, the same objectives. Okay, And, uh, you know, for instance, you may have uh, a partner or a potential partner that, that wants to drill a well on a, on a lease. That's going to expire on primary term, and they know for sure. Hey, I got to have this in my budget, or we're going to lose the lease. Right? You know, we need to drill that well. We're looking for a partner. Well, at the same time, they may be actually partners with with us in another prospect that we think they're, they're, they're going to participate, but then they can't because they got to control their own portfolio. So, so when you have limited capital budgets, that's a big challenge. And, and as a company, you have to sit down and, and determine what's more important. You know, and that's the big challenge. It's trying to get stuff drilled. You know, we still need to do drilling. Yeah. You know, we just can't go out there and do all M&A and getting getting partners on board in the plan forward. So that's do a you huge find challenge. so do you find that I guess I guess dealing with that I guess
0: you know what uh, whatever you want to call it critical path or critical projects or you know you might go partner here but they might da, da, da. do you find that your communication um, has that uh, increased over the past 90 days with everything going on right now in the oil and gas industry?
1: It, it has. Uh, we've conducted a lot more partner meetings, okay. uh, trying to make sure there's alignment. Um, and, and that's critical, especially when everyone's going through their budgets. So everyone's starting uh, pretty much here in the next month or two. Hopefully have their budgets kind of wrapped up at least for board approval, September, October time frame. So everyone's, you're scrambling right now to determine, you know, what can you include in your budget? What prospects you want to participate in? Do you want to spend all your money on just development wells? You still want to do some exploration wells? You know, can you get the partners? You know, you don't want to do stuff 100% right now. You want to have a uh, diverse portfolio. So you're definitely looking for partners. They're just harder to find because they also have their, Primary objectives. They may have some development wells that they need to drill, and it may take up all of their budget. You know, when that doesn't allow them to participate in a, you. So you may have partners in a lease that have yeah. that has no wells, and you and you're the operator. and You're proposing let's drill a well next year, you know, and your partners in this lease, you know, but they may turn around and say, well, we don't want to drill that because we need our money over here, and that's are, the biggest challenge. Are you
0: finding? But that's kind of going back to my question. Are you finding people to that that are more forthright in kind of discussing their plans or because everything going right now, everyone's kind of, they, head they in the sand, or, or people, so they are, so they're very they candid. Are. Okay. Yeah. The, that the, makes it a little easier. It, it does.
1: It does. Yeah. Everyone, we got to just work together through this, uh, through this downturn, you know, make sure everyone comes out stronger, you know, and, and you, we, we'll do some stuff that, you know, sometimes isn't necessarily what we want to, to do, but at the same time we understand the importance Uh, to the partner, right? you know, but at the same time, he's, you know, we kind of make it, make it known that, Hey, you know, in the future, if if you're in the same situation, we hope you, you know, you hope to do the same thing for us. Well,
0: I mean, that's what a partnership is. That's correct. You know, give and take here and there. So what kind of, um, through, uh, through, through, this, you know, what it was a month ago or a month and a half ago it was thirty-seven dollars below. I mean, what what, so what are the biggest operational challenges that that y'all see in the U.S. Gulf? I mean, is it lack of supply boats, uh, the quality of people, the
1: investment, um, what? You know, one of the uh, and I and I go back and and I hate to harp on this is just maintaining that culture and offshore work environment that you can't cut corners. Right. You know, you you have to do the right thing. It's just making sure everyone understands. The importance of that because that's one thing you can't control. I can control budgets, I, I can't control commodity prices. But if we're hedged, we have our budgets defined. I can control what projects we do, what projects we want to remove from the budget. But what I can't control is that, that individual or, or a couple of inv- individuals doing something that they shouldn't do that impacts the whole company, right? You know, whether it results in some environmental incident or, or, or somebody seriously getting hurt or, or a fatality. Uh, you know and that's one of our biggest concerns my biggest concerns operationally is making sure we maintain that culture that hey we just we want to work safe you know be be efficient in producing oil and gas um, uh, the next thing that's going to be a challenge is really finding the experienced personnel and it's not the experienced personnel that we're we're thinking about as far as our production operations because we can actually really kind of dictate what operators we have on our facilities right. but it's what the third parties Uh, bring out and provide in the services, you know, to us, you know, whether it's, it's one of the major vendors that, you know, their cost reductions may have included, Hey, we have to, we have to cut the high wage earners, which are typically the more experienced people and go with the less experienced. And we're still going to charge the same rates as a high, you know, the more experienced person. And then we get guys offshore that, that don't have that experience or don't have the proper training and, and uh, mainly because their company Chose to to eliminate the more experienced individuals, you know. So experienced personnel, I think, is going to be a big challenge. And then you throw in just all the services in general, you know. Trying to maintain a solid vendor base is critical. Making sure that you have uh, have vendors out there, you know, multiple vendors for each service, you know, is, is absolutely critical. Boats. This one, this downturns, you know, slightly different than uh, than the other ones. Slightly. Go on, go on with this, this word of slightly. Because what I've heard, this is r 80s uh, yeah. but worse on steroids. Mm-hmm. Yeah, this one uh, has definitely been a challenge because everyone was still trying to recover from the last one. Yeah, and then and and now, whether it's marine transportation, where where uh, vessel owners have just decided to throw in the towel, you know, where they're working with banks and and trying to get their payments, and all of a sudden. Now they ha- have this happen, and, and people just shut off all transportation and they unmanned platforms right. and cut boats loose. And and now the banks are, are, are struggling with figuring out what to do with this asset, uh, which the owner's like, Look, I've thrown in a towel. I'm done. You yeah, know, you want, and if you want it, it's yours. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> take it. You know, I'm done with the stress. Uh, you know, so it's important to maintain that uh, a good, solid vendor base. Uh, you know, even, and that includes even a whole, whole way up to drilling contractors um you know this downturn has really impacted uh the shelf in particular mm-hmm. when it comes to the drilling rig market um i forget how many we I mean, we were they were marketing all the contractors in total were marketing like 8 to 9 jack up rigs last year now i'm hearing it's down to two or three uh and 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 it's it's it, you know it's very concerning you know that, we, that it's come down to that because uh, even now, there's there's, there's only one jack up rig working in the Gulf of Mexico.
0: But you know, it's yeah. funny. I mean, I may I may be wrong through my old age, but I remember back in uh, 2010 uh, 2010 when I was at Noble. I remember, you know, this the, the the rigs that the offshore rigs that were being built were built on spec. There wasn't a yeah. demand for them. They were built on spec, so it flooded the market with all these high mm-hmm. spec offshore uh, mobile offshore drilling units. Right. Right. Whether it's jackups, drill shifts, whatever, and uh, I remember the day rates were like five fifty, six fifty for some of the oh, new yeah. stuff. Remember? Oh yeah. And now it's like I mean there has been oversupply of rigs, and there has been this. So now they're you know they're junking yeah, the rigs. They're jacking, they're, yeah, they're
1: junking. Them yeah, like they're rigs.
0: they're junking they're the rigs. That are what seven years old? Yes. Six years old. It's insane. Yeah. yeah, ten years old. So I mean, it's it seems like a not a necessary uh, a correction correction hiccup uh, obstacle whatever you want to call it, but. It's definitely something that's kind of we've known about for quite some time, and I'm, I'm not saying we could predict or any any bullshit like that, but this is kind of something that's kind of correcting itself, you know. But hearing those numbers is still kind of shocking, right? It is. Um, so, you, I mean, one, one last thing I want to uh, touch on uh, before we kind of wrap this up, you, you're bringing up the, the the word culture a lot, and I think that is something so crucial. In this day and age, because right now, not only just in the oil and gas industry, but every industry, you're hearing about uncertainty, like, oh, you know, people getting cut. Am I going to have a job? Oh, I just lost my job. Hard to know this guy lost his job or this guy or girl lost their job. Like, there's so much uncertainty and there's so much um, uh, pessimism, mm-hmm. you know? Um, so I guess... I guess besides you know being transparent and all that stuff, I mean, what, what advice would you give to people that
1: are listening <clears> to, to maintain a certain culture and be real with it? be you know a realistic I, approach. I go back when I started at marathon in 1998, I guess it was 1999. we hit like $12 dollar oil, okay. and, and being new at marathon uh, and being relatively fresh out of college. Uh, you know, I was shocked. I was sitting there like, "What's going on? There's a lot of people standing around in a break room talking about, "Oh my God, all prices are twelve dollars a barrel. Am I gonna lose my job and And it seemed like everyone was more focused in talking to one another about what what could they do to protect themselves when they lose their job instead of being focused on their their job you okay. know and 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 I had a senior manager at marathon in, in the Lafayette office at the time uh You know, I, I asked him, I said, what's all, you know, everyone's concerned, you know, everyone's sitting in the break rooms and talking about, is there going to be a layoff? And I, and I asked him, I said, is there going to be a layoff? And he said, he said, well, do you participate in those call in, in those conversations? And I said, not really. I said, I just kind of stay focused on what I'm supposed to do here, which is, you know, facilities engineering. And he said, and that's the key, stay focused, do control what you can control, which is your job, your, your performance, working with the vendors and and hopefully everything will work out and people will recognize that. Unfortunately, sometimes it doesn't. You know, and, and and you could be a solid work, you know, solid engineer, solid employee, and 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 budgets just have to be cut. Unfortunately,
0: and that's but and that's under
1: control. But your leadership, and if and if people see that, you know, when when this thing starts to rebound and there's other opportunities, you may be the first one that someone may recommend because they see how you how you how you carried yourself. Through the downturn. Yeah. You know, and that's critical.
0: No, that's a good point. It also goes back to what you were saying. I mean, everything that you approach, I mean, you have to have the right mindset.
1: Right mindset, and, positive,
0: and that's that's regardless. I mean, so thanks for coming on today, and uh, everyone that's listening. If you like to get in touch or have any questions for uh, John Spath uh, with Talos Energy, uh, you can uh, email us at round the rotary at cap-petro dot com. Again, it's round the rotary at cap-petro dot com. And one more plug uh, at Capital Petroleum Consultants. Um, if you uh, if you uh, want to discuss with us about any well site supervision or uh, project engineering uh, engineering uh, management uh, roles, whether it's uh, drilling, production, or completions, uh, you can uh, just touch base with me or to go to our website, Um Would you like to give any uh, messages or anything like that? To yeah, I
1: think, uh, you know, one of the things I want to give a shout out to my son, uh, Michael Spath. He's right. graduating from Tompkins uh, What's going on my uh, this year. Uh, you know, well, actually, he graduates, he's been delayed. He's graduating next Sunday. Uh, however, they just had their homecoming dance uh, I mean prom dance how was that was that your uh, job? Well it was uh, it was a private prom dance. What does that mean All right meaning it was at a, at a venue not authorized by Katie ISD okay okay so some parents pitched in you know direct de- decorated some bar okay you know they shut it down for the night for just the the, the high school seniors They had all these seniors pull up and and, and they had their own little prom. Uh, which is very interesting, and then I was fortunate enough to uh to be the volunteer of the of the after parties okay and what i didn't realize these days are after parties are days what like so so it wasn't just hey let's go to if someone's house after prom let's go to like Galveston you know for a night oh, that God. leads into a second night and uh and that was very challenging chaperoning you know anywhere what did you we, find out? Uh, Sunday night. Oh God! Oh God! <laughs> so it was very challenging uh, watching, um, you know, these uh, these these future leaders of our uh, you know of you know of the world right. down there, uh, like we we used to be when we were seniors yeah. and, and go down there and, and watch them uh, celebrate, you know, going off to college. So I want to say, can, you know, good job on Michael. He did an excellent job. And is he going He's, to college in the fall? You know, he is going to a place that is dear to your heart. You know, but Harvard? he's not. Gonna, he's not going to be a Yale leader. MIT, where you I know, went. No, he, he's he's going to go to A and M. Believe it or not.
0: Well, you know what? That that A and I I don't know if anyone, It's a fun fact. It's harder to get an A and M than Harvard and MIT combined.
1: I bet A and M was definitely a challenge for him. Yeah. But he's looking forward to it. Well, congrats. Uh, he said he's going to reach out to you to yeah. learn all the cheers and everything that you <laughs> that you used to. To uh, okay. coax on. <laughs>
0: okay, we can wrap this up. We can wrap this up right now. Well, anyway, John, I appreciate it. Michael, congratulations if you are listening, uh, maybe now, maybe in the future, but congratulations. Look forward to seeing you at uh, Northgate sometime. And, uh, John, thanks for coming in, man. I appreciate it. And, uh, again, this is uh, John Spath, uh, Senior Vice President of Drilling and uh, Production at Talus Energy. And uh, thank you for joining us at Around the Rotary. And we'll talk to you soon. Excellent music. Good.